Hmm. Amazing. It's absolutely amazing. But under the right circumstances, a producer could make more money with a flop than he could with a hit. Hmm. Yes, it's quite possible. Welcome to the NFC Show. Show about everything that's bad and ugly in the NFC East. Williams, how you doing this week? I'm doing good. Can't complain. We got a lot of fun topics to talk about. Um, and I, I'm ready to dive in. We uh, we almost we contemplated doing an emergency pod about our first topic yesterday. Um, I know Washington lost a playoff game. Um, I know that that should be probably the biggest story. Taylor Heineke should be what we're leading with, but uh, the Eagles dropped a hammer. The Eagles fired Super Bowl winning coach, Doug Peterson yesterday. Um, it was such an emergency that you couldn't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I asked you, I was uh, like, Hey, do you want to do this tonight? And you're like, I can't process this right now. <laughs> uh, my, my mom actually like later on that day was like, did you have a tough day at work? And I was like, uh, no, why do you ask? And you're, she was like, when you came up for lunch, you just kept yelling. Like I can't handle Doug Peterson being fired right now. (laughs) (laughs) And she like assumed it was because I was too stressed from work to like process it, but it was just, I didn't want to even emotionally process it. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it was, it was rough. You know, I guess, I guess, uh, it's not, it's a, it's a weird firing for me to like go through. I've never, my team has never fired a Super Bowl winning head coach before. Um, at least in my lifetime. So this is new. Um, and it's hard because on the balance of things, like taking the Super Bowl out of it, this team for the past three years has been a below 10 win fringe playoff team at best, culminating in a four win showing this year. So on the on the balance of things, um, if you're just looking at record, you know, it's not a surprising move, let's say. But when you add in the context of 2017 being a 13 and three Super Bowl winning year for this head coach um, and all the different new challenges presented both to the coach and the front office um, after such like a uh, a a, a earth shaking event like a, the franchise's first Super Bowl trophy, it becomes harder to really suss out who's more to blame for the underperforming the past couple years. Um, um, especially given Jeffrey Lurie's noted collaborative approach to coaching in front office. Um, I guess Williams like out outside, I, I have a lot of perspective on this, but I'm, I'm curious from like the outsider giants fan take, like what, what are your like, I guess, biggest takeaways from this move? looking down at 95. Yeah. I I think my, uh, my general feeling is that it's, 
it's probably a full year too early. Um, I tend to think teams fire coaches a little too quickly, unless there's like obvious catastrophic internal problems or the guy has just clearly proved himself to be like a dunce, like a, like a Ben McAdoo type. Um, but to fire your Super Bowl winning head coach, basically what, like three years later, three seasons later, um, after, after the first year that he doesn't make the playoffs, right. Feels mm. Pretty bad. Well, his first his first year since the Super Bowl winning year, not making the playoffs. We didn't make the playoffs his first season, twenty sixteen. Right. Yeah. But I, I like that was clearly. I think. I don't think anyone was disappointed in Peterson's first year, if I remember correctly. I think they were, you know, kind of rightly saw it as, um, a growing year. Um, yeah. And I, I, I just look at this team and I think like. I, I think so many of the issues are personnel based and I'm sh- I know we'll get to that, but I just, I see more problems with this team in terms of roster construction and actual talent than I do with any kind of X's and O's. Yep. So I will, I, I tried to just frame it a bit, but I will get down to my takes now. Um, I, I don't, I don't think this is the right move. Um, even though I think that it could ultimately lead to um, an improvement next season or in seasons afterwards. Um, but but I don't think it's the right move for two reasons. One is I think you're right. Um, if, if you're going to make a move, um, I think there's more compelling arguments on the front office roster construction side with this team um, in terms of accountability than there is on the coaching side. Um, even with a dearth of talent and a ton of injuries to the top line of the roster in 2018 and 2019, on top of a Super Bowl win in 2017, um, like Peterson still managed to pump out winning teams those two years and and playoff appearance teams. And um, that to me signals, automatically signals not dunce, not <laughs> toxic culture, in the in the like the the minimal requirements of like a good head coach let's say right um but then there's this corollary of just i think complete mismanagement of the relationship between owner gm and coach from the top with jeff lurie that culminated in having to fire your head coach. I think if the relationship between Lori and Peterson had been better, maybe that extra season happens, but I feel like we pulled the trigger too early on a good coach um, strictly because Lori and Roseman never completely trusted him and never built a healthy relationship with him. And I think that got papered over a bit by the massive success of 2017 but when when things started getting tough in the season afterwards, every key decision um, since 2018 has broken Roseman in the front office's way. And a lot is being made of the, the Mike Rowe firing, and I, and I think rightly so, as being like a, a massive sign of distrust in 
the head coach's ability to pick his guys, how he wants to construct his staff. And um, it, I understand why Doug is frustrated. He has a ring. He doesn't have to work for someone who meddles. He doesn't have to work for like a nanny state owner GM combo like he was in, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, let's, uh, I, I, I wanted to try and organize my thoughts here um, a bit. Um, I, I kind of just ran down what I see kind of just the top line team issues with this team the past couple seasons um, and I tried to suss out like who's more accountable and maybe we can just have a brief discussion. And I think you'll end up agreeing with me that if you're just checking the boxes, it ends up being the front office more than anything. But uh, first I have, I have injuries and I know you kind of disagree with me here, but I, I think we can both agree that um, it seemed like exiting 2017 through 2018, 2019 um, and, and Lurie admitted as such in the in the press conference was the, the the MO from the front office was we wanted to try and retain some of the older vets, some of the high performing older vets on the offensive line, defensive line, wide receiver, your Alshons, your Ertzes, your uh, Kelsey's, Johnson's, Peters, et cetera, that that won the ring. We want to try and keep them on the team and keep this window open and try to sustain sustain success here because whether they knew it or not, they had a Super Bowl winning team um, and they didn't want to break up the band early, let's say. Um, but what ended up happening is uh, most of those guys got and stayed injured for the next three seasons. And um, the guys stepping up were not playoff Super Bowl worthy players. And, you know, and if I'm, I'm saying who's more accountable for injuries, maybe uh, you can make the argument the coach, if the practice regimen is weird, uh, create some muscle issues, I don't know. Maybe in Peterson's next job, if they have a rash of injuries as well, we can say Peterson doesn't know how to run a, run, run a, uh, a training camp or something, right? But front office, I mean they took flyers on injury risk uh, prone guys in the draft, like Sidney Jones. Um, and ultimately you go into a season expecting at least the league average injuries and you, you can't have scrubs behind him. Like I think injuries fell more in the front office. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's right. And I think a lot of people got rewarded after that 2017 year, including this is easy to say in retrospect, but I think I would have said it at the time is the guys who really were crucial in winning that ring were, were the guys on the lines. Mm. Um, and those were probably the guys I would have prioritized extending and not so much the Alshon or the Ertz types. Um, but what I think is interesting in addition to this is like my biggest criticism of Peterson has probably been his like, amorphous coaching roles where it's hard, at least from an external perspective to get a look at who does what um, mm -hmm. within like the team's coaching staff. But that is something that's clearly enabled by Lurie. Like that, that's mm -hmm. not, that can't be something that Lurie has a problem with because Lurie's whole MO is kind of like this run things by committee, black box, I guess, quasi secretive uh, approach to things. So that, that, that's what confuses me as well is if 
if Peterson's being fired partially because he wants to keep Press Taylor or whatever, like you have to let your coach pick his coaching staff, or there's no there's no point in the exercise. Um, and so I guess I'm also just a little taken aback by by that being one of the reasons. Yep. I agree. Um, I guess that also brings me to the second issue I had. Um, the inability to draft and develop young talent. And, you know, on that side, amorphous coaching staff, weird offense decisions. I understand why maybe you can make an argument that an odd coaching situation and injuries and all that kind of stuff impacted um, the ability to actually develop the talent that was there. Um, maybe a guy like JJ Ortega Whiteside um, looks better in a different under a different coaching staff. But on the flip side, it's really hard to look at a player like JJ Ortega Whiteside. And at this point in his career, say, even if another coaching staff can get juice out of the guy, he's anywhere near uh, the player the Eagles passed up on to take him, DK Metcalf. So then I also have to say, the talent issue behind these high-priced A-list vets that they try to keep together also falls on the front office, right? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think... Uh... Just looking at this, look, I've seen a lot of Giants teams over the past few years who just do not have the talent, like not fast enough, not quick enough to the ball, not explosive, whatever you want to call it. And I saw the same issues by and large with this Eagles team this year. And that to me speaks of a lack of development and drafting. They're just not very fast or strong. Um, and that that's not going to win you football games. Yep. Now, the last two issues I think do fall more on Peterson. And I think this is where your take about how he chose to ran, run the offensive side of the ball from a coaching staff perspective may have had some, some impact. Right. Um, but I, I also don't think these first two issues that we've identified as mainly front office issues also didn't have an impact. And that to me would be the inconsistency at the quarterback position and the lack of creativity and execution on offense on the coaching side. Uh, you know, I, I think Doug Peterson has been a very strong play caller on the balance of things for his entire career here. Um, I think maybe his biggest weakness as an offensive mind is just rote creativity. Like, I, I don't think he's a guy who could sit down on his own and, uh, study tape from the college level and, and draw up, you know, innovative concepts and things within system, uh, for his players. I think he relies on his assistants to do the scouting for him, come to him with proposals, and and he's very good at understanding what how it fits in conceptually with what he wants to do as a play caller and using it in his repertoire. Um, but, I mean, I, I think that maybe you can make an argument that, you know, talent development, um, et cetera, falls on the coaching there. Um, but ultimately... Um, I think the lack of creativity and execution on offense also falls on the QB problem. Um, the QB problem is hurt by weird coaching decisions, but it also just could fall on the QB too. There's reports about Carson Wentz not being particularly receptive to coaching. 
Um, but also that's the coaching side. Maybe it is Peterson's fault mostly that the offense has been inconsistent and lacking some creativity and juice, but also there's, there's still a personnel element here where, uh, if you're, top three or four projected pass catching starters are missing time due to injury. And the people you have stepping in there are Greg Ward and JJ Ortega Whiteside and Mac Hollins, right? That's not going to help a quarterback's development. Right. And it's also like, you know, it also impacts what the offensive coaching staff can actually do from a creativity execution perspective. You know, you're not going to like catch a defense off guard running an end around to like, you know, uh, Shelton Gibson or something, you know, it's like, like what, what, what it, to a certain extent, like what, what, what painting were you expecting from a, from a master artist, given the paints and tools he had, you know, when, when can we, can we just go through, I just pulled this up. Sorry. Slight, slight sidetrack. Can we just go through the Eagles wide receivers drafted since 2014? Please drag me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's Howie. This is a Howie problem. Uh, Jordan Matthews, Josh Huff, uh, that's second and third rounders. Next year, first rounder, Nelson Aguilar. I, uh, uh, now, here's the thing. I want you all to also, thank you for calling out what round these players were drafted in yes. as well. <laughs> yeah. so second second round, Jordan Matthews. Third round, Josh Huff. Yeah. Go, continue. <laughs> Next year, first round, Nelson Aguilar. Then apparently he's content with himself. He doesn't draft anybody, any wide receivers the next year um, in the Wentz draft 2016. Next year. I, he- I want to give one at one asterisk. So Nelson Aguilar was technically the Chip Kelly GM year, but That's go true. on. That's true. I guess that is, uh, I forget that Chip moonlighted as GM for a bit. Um, okay. We'll let him off the hook. Yeah. For, for only one year though, for yeah. only one year, the Huff draft, even though Huff was a, was an Oregon guy. Um, the, the Matthews Huff draft was a Roseman draft. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next year, Mac Hollins in the fourth Shelton Gibson in the fifth. Interesting that you, you listed both of those guys as hypotheticals. Uh, 2018, he doesn't draft any wide receivers, although he does draft Dallas Goddard in the second. Um, 2019, obviously he drafts Arcega Whiteside in the second. And then... This year, he drafted Jalen Rager in the first, John Hightower in the fifth, and Quez Watkins in the sixth. Um, All of those guys have zero Pro Bowls between them and a shocking amount of, of a a shockingly few amount of starting seasons on an NFL offense. I know a lot of those guys are fourth and fifth rounders, but you can find value there at wide receiver, I think. Just, just to put in perspective what what I think Peterson, who's an offensive mind, has been working with or working against, I guess, for much of his time in Philly. I think it's also worth mentioning um, just in, in, in a non-aberrational amount of these cases, these players also go on to other teams uh, and may find some productivity that match their, their round selection. So I, I, I called out Matt Collins for a reason because I did pull his pro football reference and I wanted to check in on how he's doing in Miami. And uh, his his numbers this year, I think it was something like 20 targets, 
or maybe 25 targets, 20 catches, 300 yards and a touchdown um, operating mostly as a special teams contributor um, and uh, occasional pass catcher in the Dolphins offense. To me, that's good value for a fourth round wide receiver, but we were not getting that Matt Collins, even in Philly. And the sad part is, is that um, in Miami, he's not expected to be anything more than that. But when he was cut, if you remember, he was cut because the team expected him to step up and be the Y receiver after Alshon Jeffrey got hurt in 2019 before they kind of settled into the Greg Ward groove at the tail end of the season. Um, in no universe should that be the front office's plan if you're, you know, 10 million plus a year X receiver goes down for the season. So I just, I look at this as a whole and I'm with you. I do think that the front office is more accountable for these issues. And I think the resume alone for Peterson, given the adversity he's faced means he's due the authority and trust to um, pick his guys live or die by the staff he wants to build um, and try to win games for whatever team he's trusted to be the head coach for. Um And it's disappointing to me that both that the front office isn't being held more accountable for this. um, But then also that we're letting a Super Bowl winning head coach walk um, because the owner cannot come to trust him more than he blindly trusts an underperforming front office led by Howie Roseman. Yes. Now, that does not mean, like I said, that the Eagles won't get better because of this thing. If if a if a front office mea culpa, if, if let's say Lurie knows this and he talks to Roseman and he has more a stronger sense that Roseman wants to reconcile this problem and Peterson didn't and he chose one and not the other, maybe maybe that mix combined with a new coach does improve things. But I can't help but find immense flaw in the decision-making process. And I think the risk is much greater riding with Roseman and not Peterson. Because I think it's much harder to find a Super Bowl-winning head coach from a play-calling and culture perspective than it is to find a general manager who can manage a cap table and can agree with the coaching staff on what a good player looks like. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I think we're on, I, I agree. I, I wonder how long the leash is for Howie at this point. It seems crazy that he's going to be part of a process in selecting the fourth coach and third hire in his time in Philly. It's ridiculous. I I don't understand how he has earned this much trust with the owner. And I don't understand, I guess, how this becomes an attractive position for a new coach to take, 
given the relationship dynamics that played out in plain sight in the decision to move on from the franchise's only Super Bowl winner as head coach. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think that Peterson is Belichick. You know, I don't think we fired a, a savant, you know, but we also know that it's really hard to win a championship in this league. And even if he needs a good personnel staff, a good mix of assistant coaches and a good roster to do it, he's one of the few coaches in the NFL that can do it, you know? And I wouldn't be surprised if he never wins another ring, but I'd be shocked if he goes somewhere and doesn't produce a consistent 10 win team given an actual leash to pick his own staff and run the football team on game day like he wants to. Yeah, we'll see how quickly he actually gets picked up. But um, I agree. I think I think he's a fine coach. Nothing mind-blowing, but the results speak for themselves um, in the relatively short tenure he had. And I, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see similar results elsewhere. I want him to go to, I want him to go to LA. I want him to go to the Chargers. That'd be fun. Uh, you know, Philip Rivers isn't there, so maybe he can win something. <laughs> wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't Peterson Herbert being like the the diet version of, you know, Reed and Mahomes in the same division be a fun thing to watch as a fan twice a season? Yeah, I think so. Um... I got, I, it would it, it would be like it would be like McVeigh and in Kingsbury out in the West as well, you know, just the <laughs> AFC version of it. <laughs> I I I have nothing but gratitude for Doug Peterson. He's brought me so much joy. And I'm really sad to see him go, and I know part of it is that emotion, but I no one likes the feeling of uncertainty, you know especially uncertainty born of potentially flawed decision-making. And that's what I feel Lurie has unwittingly thrown this franchise in when it could have been a lot more stable had he just been more emotionally astute and more mindful of his relationship with Doug. It's a really frustrating time to be an Eagles fan. Yeah. uh, I say good riddance. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) happy he's gone (laughs) and it's thanks howie uh thanks jeff i appreciate it i i hesitate to even like start to project what this division may look like next year um just because there there's never been a season that goes exactly as planned um in the nfc east and who knows what uh what will project based on what the Eagles decide to do next. But um, I guess let's quickly touch on some, uh, some other heading into off season stuff, house cleaning Um, first with the giants and Cowboys. Let's, let's check in with those two scamps out there in (laughs) Dallas and up there in New York, before we talk a bit about how Washington closed off the season, the giants uh, in stark contrast to the Eagles, not making a lot of, uh, existential moves to close out the season. They seem fine with their six and ten record. Um, <laughs> Look, six and ten is good. 
<laughs> we would have been a playoff team if it wasn't for the guy you just fired. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gettleman safe. What what do you what is your take on that? I mean, I I think that I think that he made the right decision running it back. Joe Judge is a good coach, but Gettleman's probably the one guy where you're like, well, maybe if one guy is holding this this team back from a from an organizational standpoint, he's the one. Yeah, I don't I don't like Gettleman. Um, I think a lot of the moves he's made are he he gets this kind of rap as being like very antiquated and kind of out of touch, which might be true but i also just think the way that he, he he's shown an affinity towards giving contracts to guys that he knows in the league like panthers players or back when uh with our with our previous defensive coordinator um he gave a lot of contracts to cardinals players who had played with that guy like there's just like i think a lack of league-wide personnel curiosity with him that bothers me I think he's got a type of player that he likes, and that's kind of it. But with that said, I mean, I, I do value consistency, and I think if the coaching staff likes him um, and if they feel like they're getting good results in the draft, then it, it would be hard to shake things up. His, his, his future really is staked on how good Daniel Jones does, so to an extent it's only fair to – allow him to create the pieces that he thinks serves that quarterback. And if it doesn't work out, then you probably, you know, just wipe it all clean. But I do, I, I think you get another year out of it. Yeah. I, 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 it actually, I would have been excited, not excited because I wouldn't be happy with uh, the giants potentially making a move to better themselves, but it would have been interesting to see if they did have the, uh, the gall, the Gallman, let's say, <laughs> <laughs> to to fire Gettleman now because I do think it, there's a high chance. I think his seat's lukewarm uh, right now, uh, and I, I I don't know why you wouldn't just why you're waiting for it to get hot, you know. Um, but I do understand the logic behind. Well, if he's gotten you to this place and you are feeling optimistic with Judge, etc., why you wouldn't just rush to fire him now, you know. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting. I do think it's a make or break season for this current Giants regime next year. They have they have to be better than six and ten. Um, now down in Dallas, um, Jerry Jones entering his thirty second year as Cowboys general manager has refused to fire himself <laughs> up to this point. Um, so that has stayed status quo. They're keeping uh. Uh, they're keeping most of the coaching staff in in place, including Mike McCarthy. Uh, but they did make a change at defensive coordinator. Mike Nolan out, Dan Quinn in. Um, have to think that on paper that that helps the Cowboys, but I, I think a lot of the issues with that team remain in roster construction. So I, I really I don't think we can actually guess what his impact will be until we see what the, the projected depth chart is for this Dallas defense um, beginning of training camp. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that Quinn is not working with a lot. Dallas defense is, was pretty bad, but I also think, think it's fair to say that it was the right decision to get rid of Nolan. They clearly weren't getting anything out of him. 
Quinn has a, a proven track record, at least at defensive coordinator with Seattle. Um, and it's worth worth a gamble to just see if he can kind of find uh, catch lightning in a bottle and, and get them even to like league average on defense, I think would be huge for them. Yep. Yeah. I, I, no doubt. Uh, I don't, I don't mean to construe my, uh, my, uh, let's wait and see with, uh, they made the wrong decision by firing Mike Nolan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I do think that it, Quinn's got had a rough stretch in Atlanta um, I don't think he was ever psychologically the same person after the Super Bowl loss as a head coach, maybe receding back into a the comfort of a defensive coordinator position um, will be good for him and his career. Um, I'll save that actually for for take around the league because I, I have an interesting thought um, about Dan Quinn and defensive coordinators in general but in general he's a more modern mind i do think that he he will bring more to the cowboys defense but i think i just think projecting whether they're actually gonna be improved needs to wait on what moves they make in the offseason um one question i do have though um if owners could be fired whose seat in the nfc east is hottest I, I want to say this podcast is mainly to hold ownership accountable because we have four. <laughs> I know they all listen too. Um, we have four owners that I think have, on the balance of things may do more to hurt their teams than help them with maybe Lurie being the one example. Lurie, Lurie and, and uh, you know, and the Giants ownership being the two examples, let's say, of better than average in the past. But has that changed at all in the past couple of years in your in your assessment? I, I think that's I think that's fair. I think given the net results, you still have to say Lurie's the best. Um, I think Snyder is probably the worst given not just the team's on field performance, which is historically the weakest, but also the off-field stuff that we've heard about him and how generally creepy uh, he seems to be and how the franchise is run. Uh, so I, th- I think he'd be my pick. And Jerry's just too fu- too fun. You know, Jerry, <laughs> it's entertainment at its core. And that's, Jerry brings the entertainment. I will I, say, I this is a great question. Yeah. And I think we need to do like an owner analogy series where we compare like the owners to like... <laughs> restaurant owners or like <laughs> car dealership owners because I already I think, have ideas about what it yeah, is. Yeah, I think we got to save this for an off-season pod. I think we can I easily agree. do 30 minutes on the ownership. But I wanted to throw it out there because I know that my opinion on Lurie is changing by the minute um, given given how this week is, has shook out. I think he's going – I think he's becoming Florida Jeff way too quickly because of this pandemic. And I don't <laughs> like the person he's becoming. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh but let's let's close out uh before we get to take around the league uh with uh the game that happened this week uh washington ends their season there was one the seven and nine division champs fall yeah <laughs> um the seven and nine division champs fall um to the tampa bay buccaneers tampa bay um 
to me, I, I, I pretty much the game we expected, maybe a little bit higher higher scoring behind the rocket arm of Taylor Heineke, um, getting more than twenty points out of that game. Um, but in general, I mean, to me, I think, uh, I, I think this game ultimately came down to the defense's inability to generate a turnover. Um, I think they played well. They got to Brady. They sacked him a few times, but they did. They didn't break the game. Like I think they they had to, um, to keep to put their offense in it, and the offense is just always playing from behind. And I think that, um, even with a Taylor Heineke playing admirably and hanging some points and putting some drives together, without getting that kind of momentum shift, um, away from Tom Brady. Uh, they just couldn't put the dagger in at any point. Yeah, I agree. I, I I think your assessment, especially of how the defense, the defense needed to play lights out, and they didn't do that. Um, mm-hmm. Tampa's offense is good. Like they have a ton of weapons, and their O line is good. Like the way they're constructed is just hard to hard to make them fall into disarray. I thought that Washington could be capable of it, just because. It was easy for me to imagine, like, Sweat having a monster game or something and just, like, looking like J.J. Watt reincarnated. Um, and it just didn't didn't come together. I, I guess if, if you were to tell me how Washington lost that game, like, it's not what I would have expected. But actually having watched it, I wasn't shocked at how it unfolded. Yeah. It did... It's going to be an interesting off season to try and project this this division. Um, I don't want to overrate how good Washington can potentially be. Um, they're still Washington at the end of the day, and historically that franchise has not been able to string together success. But the defense, I think, was was very good. And it does feel like they're only a few offensive pieces away from being a very good team, particularly at the quarterback position. Um, they're a team, I think, for the first time in a while, um, I, I'm kind of scared by, but I also don't want to just have it be recency bias and seeing them in a playoff game versus not seeing any of these other teams in the playoff game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I we... They're going to be an enigma for a little bit. A lot hinges on what they can do to juice up that offense. Um, but I, I do think they're a team that I'm really looking forward to seeing how they change and how they how they try to grow from this season. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I don't even think they need to draft a, a young quarterback. If they can just get like a Stafford or one of these other like, you know, bigger armed kind of twilighty vets onto their team just to get them through the next couple years. I don't know if that's a Super Bowl team, but that's potentially a 10 to 11 win team uh, next year and the year after. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I do think if Deshaun Watson's off the table, look elsewhere and there are going to be guys available, including it's going to sound crazy. Look at somebody like a Nick Foles type. See if you can't figure it out. Uh, I, I think Smith did admirably, but I, it seems pretty clear that he's 
he's aging and he's he's just injured and it's not a long-term solution or even a solution for maybe another year so it would be i would love to see how they who who they think can bring their offense to even one more level and and keep allowing their defense to win games yeah i think a lot of how i see this team next year falls on what they choose to do in the off season but i also need to see i think there's an asterisk uh, against every one of these teams heading into next year where it's not only what they do in the off season, but I also need to see at least four games sample size to then start to have any hard takes about them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're all very bad. That's the matter. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> so like it was such a, so it was such wrong. a bad year this year that like, <laughs> I can't actually feel confident about any change in any direction that it actually will change much, you know? Right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um all right. Uh what I, I think you have something you want to do, but do you is, do you want to do that or do you want to uh do takes or what do you want to do? Yeah, let, let's let's do take around the league. I think my, my other thing can wait. Um I I'm cool with actually I, I just have a take that I came up with that I want to share. Yeah, uh yeah. but uh I also want to open it up. If you have like an off season bold prediction, I'll, I'll take that this week too. Um, but <laughs> this is a take that I've had brewing for a little while that the, the Dan Quinn reminded me of defensive coordinators do not matter. That's my take. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, I let, let me explain this. Look at, let's look at Dan Quinn and Gus Bradley and that kind of like when the NFL mined the Legion of boom uh, coaches for defensive talent for a couple of years. Right. Um, I think it's pretty fair to say that the Legion of boom success was not any of their coaches, but was in fact the players that comprised Seattle's defense and the Legion of boom. Um, to that end, I just think talent matters a lot more on the defensive side of the ball than X's and O's. Um, I, I understand different coordinators are going to bring different philosophies and will want to try and attack offenses in different ways. But at the end of the day, you know, Chase Young and Montez Sweat can make Jack Del Rio look like a defensive genius in 2020. Um, but then also we know Jack Del Rio is a coach capable of bouncing around from NFL team to NFL team, putting together losing seasons. So my take is defensive coordinators do not matter. And that defensive success relies more on blue chip talent than it does the coaching minds, coordinating them and putting them in positions. Abolish defensive coordinators. This is crazy. Uh, <laughs> I think I get where you're coming from, and I do think there's something there. Um, I I feel like a lot of it is like scheme dependent. Like really good defensive coordinator knows how to use guys in his scheme and like leverage guys' talent. I don't think it's as X's and O's as the offense is usually, but it feels like some some defensive coordinators look at a guy and like can assess him properly and put him in positions to succeed. Whereas other ones just don't even have that. 
Yeah, I guess what I'm more saying is like to me that's like there's a, there's a replacement level defensive coordinator that is minimally qualified to do that and motivate players, right? Yeah. And then everything else relies on the players. Yeah, yeah. It's also the, the replacement level defensive coordinator. It's like a certain type of guy in your head, right? Isn't there like an image of what that guy looks like? Dan Quinn. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, still like the higher though to all those <laughs> yeah it's interesting i i can riff more on this because i do think there's some outliers but i almost think it, they're outliers for different reasons like i my mind immediately goes to belichick and his ability to kind of put together above league average defenses with kind of no-name guys but I, I almost wonder how much of that is just his philosophy on approaching the game and how that bleeds into every player on both sides of the ball than it does his actual ability to scheme defense. You right. know? In some ways, I think he is just the, the greatest example of what I was just saying about looking at a player and knowing how to use him in the right spot. Yep. Yep. All right. We'll let that take marinate more, but I want that out there. What do you, what do you have, man? Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of hype about Devonta Smith, the Heisman winning wide receiver from Alabama, who just yesterday demolished Ohio State in uh, in the college football championship. Um, I got to say, I'm a little pessimistic about his pro potential just watching him. I don't really be a bust, but he reminds me a lot of Reggie Bush, another outstanding mm. Heisman winning college player who was just not quite big enough and surprisingly not really explosive enough to make a huge impact on the NFL level. Not a bad NFL player, but not a, not an outstanding one. That is a great take. Uh, I admittedly have pretty much only watched last night's game as my Devonta Smith scouting. (laughs) so i don't i don't know enough to uh agree or disagree but i understand exactly what you're coming from wide receivers are weird man so are like general skill position players like i very rarely is like a heisman winning like wide receiver running back ever translate to that like to a game-breaking level on the nfl level the real game breakers but in my memory at wide receiver, you're Randy Mosses, you're Terrell Owens, you're yeah. uh, Jerry Rice's, right? They're never that heralded on the college level. But the little things they do well that translate well to the NFL and can do week in, week out over the course of seasons is what is what makes them special. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I just think sometimes stuff like speed is hard to translate or hard to – it's hard to know who's going who's gonna to keep that legit – top end athleticism at the NFL level and who's not. Um, yeah. On the other hand, I think of like Odell Beckham, who I, I, I remember watching his college highlights and not being that wowed and, and his combine 40 wasn't like incredible. And then you go into the NFL and he's like the fastest player in the field. It's like, sometimes that kind of stuff is almost, it really is just unpredictable how a guy is truly going to look on an NFL field until he gets there. And my vibe with Devonta Smith, again, I, I, I'm not trying to hate. I think he'll be good. 
I just don't see like the incredible upside. Yeah. I, I, I in general, like don't, maybe it's just the, uh, you know, the, the Ricky Williams debacle from the early two thousands and how that kind of colored my perception of like hyped college skill position players, you know, yeah. but in general, like if I'm building an NFL team, I'd rather sucker some other team into trading up to the top five to take Devonta Smith and then take the third graded wide receiver and like the fourth graded tackle later on the first round in two picks then take one flyer on Devonta Smith, you know? I, I, in a way, it's nice. I'll know if my take is right or not by draft night, depending on whether or not Howie drafts him. That will tell me <laughs> Yeah, if we're the team that suckers ourselves into going for Devonta Smith because we're trying to, you know, remake, atone for all of our skill position sins in one player, we'll know. <laughs> Exactly the type of player who's going to be at the NFL level. Right, exactly. All right, man. Well, let's wrap this one up. I don't know when we'll be back. Uh, I'm I'm going to be traveling next week. The season's over. All of our teams are no longer playing. I kind of don't want to think about football and be sad about how bad our division is while watching good football in the playoffs. But we do want to do a uh, we do want to do a reflections pod spike the football on the takes we were right about atone for the takes we were wrong about this season. We have some other off season stuff. We got to rank the owners. And of yeah. course we're going to be here whenever anything big happens um, with any of these teams, like the Doug Peterson firing. Um, do you have anything else you want to add? I, I'm just putting this in the ground now. Uh, the owners as restaurant owners is something we have to do. Like if Barry <laughs> ran a restaurant. <laughs> no for sure it's gonna happen all right uh if you have anything you want to send us perhaps maybe you have some initial takes on uh what dan snyder would be as a <laughs> tgi fridays franchisee <laughs> <laughs> you can send it to uh nfc least mailbag at gmail.com as always subscribe rate and review We'll we'll probably try and do some sort of uh some sort of real subscriber push uh at the beginning of next season. We want to try and uh make this a thing for next year. Hopefully the least remains the least, but it's a little bit more fun to talk about next year. Um anything else before we leave the listeners for a week or two, man? Uh just that it's been a fun time. It, you know, we started this four weeks into the season when it was clear that the division was bad, but we didn't know how bad it would get. And um, I sit here today, pleased that it went about as bad as it could. Um, and I can't wait for next year. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> and I think it's going to be even more fun as we go along. All right, man. Uh, until next time. Talk to you later. See you. Bye.